0: This is the Sand with Lynette podcast. You have episode 47, The Paradox of Love and Law. What would your life be like if you knew you could stand firmly on the covenant path, come what may? My name is Lynette Shepard, and I am here to help you do just that. If you are a Latter-day Saint woman with a desire to brighten your faith as the world grows darker... You are in the right place. Together, let's stand. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome back to Stand with Lynette. If you're here for the first time, welcome. I'm so glad all of you are here. I just have to tell you that I know it is a commitment to sit and listen to this podcast or to listen to this podcast while you're out and about or however you listen. It is a commitment and I recognize that and I... I'm so grateful that you are willing to make that commitment to be here with me for 30 minutes, for 40 minutes, for however long these episodes are. That is a chunk of your day. And that is just so meaningful for me thinking that people are actually out there willing to give up 30 or 40 minutes a week to listen to what I have to say. I feel honored, very honored. (laughs) Because even as a podcaster. I don't listen to that many podcasts. I just simply do not have time. And I know there are a million op- options to choose from in the podcast world and so many of them are so so good. So again, I feel so honored that you choose to make this a part of your day today and maybe a part of your week every week if you're if you're a weekly listener. I appreciate however much time you choose to give to this podcast, whether it's weekly or otherwise. I so appreciate it. And I'm so thankful for the ratings, for the reviews. Thank you to all of you who have taken the time to do that. And I ask if you find anything of value here and you haven't yet left a rating or review, it just takes a short amount of time. I would so appreciate you doing that for me. That really means means a lot. It means a lot that you even listen though. So thank you again for being here. And today we're going to talk about something that has been a lot on my mind lately and based on some things I have noticed happening in the world. And it's just been kind of on my mind. It's, it's the paradox of love and law. And We're going to get into why it's been on my mind and some things that I have experienced that have taught me about the relationship between love and law and how they are inseparably connected. We need both of them in our lives, in our parenting. I'm going to talk a little bit about my parenting journey today, but also the way the Lord deals with us. It is love and law. It is justice and mercy. It is not one or the other. It is a balance of both, and they are both vital. So if you listen to episode 31, you know that I talked a little bit about my parenting journey and what it taught me about following the Lord into places that go against the grain. And I was not anticipating the flood of people who reached out to me wanting to know more about what I did to transform my family, what my husband and I both did together to transform our family. I shared details with those people who reached out to me individually, but today I want to dive deeper into this concept of love and law. This is the concept that forms the backbone of our parenting strategy. It will give you a greater understanding of how we approach parenting and why we choose to raise our kids the way that we do. For those of you who are not interested in parenting strategies, I assure you that the concepts I teach today are also crucial to understanding how Heavenly Father works with us as His children. These truths are currently being distorted in both big and small ways, which has had a massive impact on how people define and interpret love in all of its forms, divine love, familial love, and neighborly love, and all the forms of love. So today, again, we're going to explore the intersection of love and law. As I mentioned back in episode 41, my oldest son was born with a fire in his soul, and initially, I was the one who got burned. As we brought him home from the hospital, excited to start our lives as a family of three, my husband and I were caught by surprise when this baby screamed himself hoarse on the first night we had him home from the hospital. I wondered if we could take him back, give him to the nursery, and trade him for a new model because this was not I envisioned it happening. This is not how parenting was supposed to start. That long night was followed by nine months of screaming and several years of my way or the highway type behavior. From his earliest days, this little boy was absolutely certain that he was the boss of himself, my husband, me, and everyone else. When I did not allow him to have his way, his screaming let everyone within a 10-mile radius know that... The world was indeed going to come to an end. In an attempt to learn how to manage my sweet little family, I purchased a book called Parenting with Love by Glenn Latham. This book taught me that kids will continue to exhibit behavior that is reinforced by their parents. On the other hand, behavior that parents fail to reinforce will eventually disappear, In other words, praising good behavior and ignoring bad behavior will eventually make bad behavior disappear. This sounded like a genius plan to me. Using these ideas, I could love my young son into behaving well by praising all the wonderful things he did and pretending the bad behavior did not exist. How hard could this really be? Trust me when I tell you that it is nearly impossible to ignore spit in your face. It is especially hard when that spit comes from the mouth of a child who just ran through the aisles of the grocery store pulling all sorts of things off of the shelves. He ignored you when you tried to call after him, and then while you were trying to pay for the items that you were purchasing, he left the store, ran out the door, ignored your calls for him to stop and bolted right into the parking lot. You had to leave your groceries and your baby in the cart at the checkout stand and chase him down in the parking lot. And that was just the morning. The afternoon was equally stressful and exhausting. While it is true that I could potentially ignore smaller infractions, what I just described was a glimpse into my everyday life when my son was young, and ignoring this kind of behavior simply did not work. And even for his own safety, I could not ignore this stuff. And even when I tried to praise, 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 and ignore the things that I could, his behavior grew until it was completely out of control. It felt like all we did was put out fires because our boundaries were flimsy at best and our follow through was even weaker. Eventually, as several more children joined our family, my husband and I decided we were done allowing the kids to walk all over us. We established firm boundaries based on a long range goal. Rather than simply surviving our daily battles, we determined we wanted to raise responsible, respectful, resilient, faithful, kind kids who loved God and others. With that vision in mind, it was easy to determine where our boundaries needed to be. Would giving in to a grocery store tantrum help us to raise a respectful child? No. Would allowing our kids to talk back help us to teach them respect? Again, no. No. Would allowing our kids to get away with quote-unquote forgetting to do their chores help us raise responsible children? Not a chance. Would ignoring their failure to complete homework teach our kids responsibility? Hardly. You get the idea. We drew firm boundaries surrounding behavior that did not support our parenting goal to raise responsible, respectful, resilient, faithful, kind kids who loved God and others. We made sure the kids understood the boundaries, and when they chose to cross them anyway, they faced consequences. I'm not talking about sitting in a timeout for one minute per year of age. We tried that in years past, and it did absolutely zero good. I am talking here about memorable consequences. Consequences that would deter our children from repeatedly making the same mistakes. Consequences that would prove to the kids that we were serious about their compliance. I could provide many examples of these types of consequences, but please indulge me while I share one that has become a family legend for how memorable it was. My son even added it to his memories of me in family search. Bless his little heart. But first, let me set up the scene for you. My son is in the sixth grade. He is attending an advanced school in which final gra- exam grades provide a significant portion of his overall grade. Six weeks before finals, my son's grades are not stellar. He has a couple of C's when he is perfectly capable of getting A's and B's. My husband and I have a talk with our son. We say something like this. Hey, buddy. We see you have some Cs on your progress report. Finals are coming up in six weeks, and we expect you to work hard and get those Cs up to at least Bs within the next six weeks. We know you can do it. We are perfectly confident in your ability to do it, and we are here to support you. But we will not remind you to do your homework. We will not sit down and do homework with you. It is your responsibility to do what you need to do to get those grades up to Bs before the end of the semester. We suggest you spend plenty of time studying for finals, as that will have a large impact on your overall grade. But if you do not take care of this problem on your own, we will have to get involved. And I promise you don't want us to get involved. Are we clear? He assured us that he had it under control. So we let it lie. And over the next few weeks, we watched while he spent hours reading novels instead of studying and doing his homework. He told us he participated in class, which meant he didn't really need to study because he already knew the material. We zipped our lips. Then the day of reckoning came. I drove up to the school on the day the final grades came out and I saw my son standing dejectedly on the curb, shoulders slumped and eyes filled with tears. When I asked him what was wrong, he said, I got C." He knew what that meant, I knew what that meant, and we were both dreading it. After talking to my husband, we determined that my son's beloved novels likely kept him from reaching the benchmark we had set, because he just read and read and read instead of studying and doing his homework. So we decided that we were going to take those novels away until his grades were all at A's and B's. Again, he's perfectly capable of doing this. He was so upset that we took his books away that he cried himself to sleep because he loved to read more than just about anything else. And to be honest, this is a very unusual punishment to take away books, but we felt like this is what we needed to do. We felt like this would have an impact, but it was heartbreaking for us to watch. But guess what? We had the end in mind. We knew that we wanted him to learn to take responsibility for his own grades, for his own education, for his own learning, and ultimately for his own life. And in order for him to learn that vital skill, we needed to hold his feet to the fire and allow him to accept the consequences of this temporary irresponsibility. So we held firmly to those consequences, despite the tears, the protests, and the anger. And what do you know? He successfully managed his homework, his grades, and his school responsibilities from that point through high school and on to college with little involvement from us. Was it fun to carry through with this memorable consequence? Not at all. It was not fun. Did it help us to reach our parenting goals? A thousand percent yes. If we had listened to the popular parenting philosophies of the day, we would have believed that if we loved our kids, we would not discipline them. We would have believed that assigning any consequences for breaking family rules would not only cause psychological damage to our kids, but would also cause them to misbehave under the radar and develop deep-seated hatred for us as their parents. Now that we are getting ready to launch our fourth child into the world— I can tell you with 100% confidence that those claims are simply not true, at least not when we are talking about administering consequences in an environment of love. If law exists without love, you're going to have a big problem. But social science studies have repeatedly confirmed that children do best when raised by parents who are both loving and demanding, or in other words, Parents who establish and maintain firm boundaries and uphold those boundaries in an environment of love. Those parents raise the most well-adjusted children when compared to all other parenting styles. My husband and I have learned through our own experience that love and law are inseparable. We have fantastic relationships with all of our kids, both those who are still at home and those who have left to tackle the world on their own as young adults even though we disciplined all of them when they broke the rules. Now that we are starting to see the fruits of our labors as our kids launch into adulthood, the big picture is clearer. But admittedly, while we were in the middle of the fire, we wondered if we were doing this whole parenting thing all wrong. Would taking away novels and administering other forms of memorable discipline really teach our kids important life lessons? or would it backfire? Would they grow up and blame all of their problems on their terrible parents who didn't know what they were doing? Perspective, I believe, is the key to understanding. And from where we sit now, on the other side of the parenting fence, I am confident that true love requires intentional law. As parents, we established family rules or laws that we felt would help our children learn important life lessons. The rules were not arbitrary, and we did not establish them to prove our parental power. They were teaching tools, and by extension, they provided growth opportunities for our children. They helped our kids develop character traits that would help them to succeed beyond the walls of our home. The rules were not the end goal. The end goal was responsibility, respect, resilience, faith, kindness, and love. The rules were a means to an end. The same principle applies to how God parents us as his children. Said President Russell M. Nelson, Because the Father and the Son love us with infinite, perfect love, and because they know we cannot see everything they see, they have given us laws that will guide and protect us. The work of God is to prepare us, His children, for immortality and eternal life with Him. Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, engage in this work because of their perfect love for us. Because they love us perfectly, they want to help us overcome our natural, sinful tendencies that come as a result of living in a fallen world. In our sinful state, we cannot return to live in their presence. So they established commandments or laws that when obeyed, keep us spiritually safe. Of course, in our imperfect mortal state, they knew we would make mistakes. So Jesus offered to leave his throne on high, come to earth and atone for the sins of all mankind. This act, which was central to all human history, made it possible for each of us as sinful mortals to repent and become clean so that we might obtain the immortality and eternal life that is God's work and glory. When I stop to think about how Jesus, the omniscient and powerful Jehovah of the Old Testament, volunteered to come to earth, the one he created, only to be despised, rejected, reviled, mocked, spit upon, and crucified. So I can have a chance to obtain immortality and eternal life, words are inadequate to express my gratitude. If that is not a clear manifestation of love, for him to descend from his throne on high and do all of those things for us, I don't know what is. And the fact that Heavenly Father did not intervene when his only begotten son experienced unthinkable agony on our behalf illustrates how perfectly he loves us as well. As it says in John, chapter 15, verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But the next verse puts the connection of love and law into perspective. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. God's laws are evidence of his love. Without them, we would have no hope of returning back to his presence to live in a state of eternal happiness. Not only that, But the blessings we receive from God in mortality are conditional on our obedience to his laws. This is illustrated in Doctrine and Covenants section 130 verses 20 through 21. There is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundations of the world upon which all blessings are predicated. And when we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. Similarly, President Nelson taught, quote, You can pray all you want, you can hope all you want, but until the law is fulfilled upon which that blessing is predicated, it won't happen. Close quote. We live in a world that screams for tolerance and love, but often ignores or vilifies law. Media and culture clearly teach that God's laws are unloving and intolerant. And if, in our efforts to live God's laws, we fail to accept certain sinful behaviors, we are also unloving and intolerant. The underlying message of those accusations is that God is unloving, and so is anyone else who still follows his commandments. Another clear message is that we cannot love someone unless we condone their sinful choices. President Russell M. Nelson refuted that claim when he boldly declared, quote, Real love for the sinner may compel courageous confrontation, not acquiescence. Real love does not support sinful behavior. Quote. He likewise gave a little peek into what it is like to be a prophet in these tumultuous days. Quote, Sometimes we, as leaders of the church, are criticized for holding firm to the laws of God, defending the Savior's doctrine, and resisting the social pressures of our day. But our commission as ordained apostles is to go into all the world to preach His gospel unto every creature. That means we are commanded to teach truth. In doing so, sometimes we are accused of being uncaring as we teach the Father's requirements for exaltation in the celestial kingdom. But wouldn't it be far more uncaring for us not to tell the truth, not to teach what God has revealed? It is precisely because we do care deeply about all of God's children that we proclaim His truth. We may not always tell people what they want to hear. Prophets are rarely popular, but we will always teach the truth. My dear young friends, exaltation is not easy. Requirements include a focused and persistent effort to keep God's laws, rigorously repenting when we don't. But the reward for doing so is far greater than anything we can imagine because it brings us joy here and never-ending happiness hereafter. Close quote. I am grateful for our courageous leaders who are willing to be the Lord's lightning rods as they do their best to lead people back to Jesus Christ. It breaks my heart when people attack them for teaching truth. I heard something on a podcast recently that I cannot get out of my mind, so I'm going to share it with you. The podcast is called Sit Down with Sky and Preston, soon to be Sit Down with Sky and Amanda, and is an excellent resource for those looking to explore the intersection of the gospel and lgbtq issues while holding fast to the doctrine of jesus christ anyway in this episode they were talking about following the prophet and they said quote how we treat and think about our prophets and apostles is very indicative of how we would treat jesus christ if he was in the room with us close quote isn't that profound The prophets speak for Jesus Christ. And if we criticize them, we are essentially criticizing Jesus. But what does all of this have to do with us as Latter-day Saints who are trying to navigate a tricky line between love and law in our families and in the interactions we have with others? Dallin H. Oaks explained it this way, quote, How do we draw the line in showing love without seeming to abandon our commitment to the truths we understand about God's law, and the covenants we have made. Surely we do not follow the extreme of severing family relationships or avoiding all contact with those whose behavior we disapprove. And just as surely, we should seek to avoid seeming to support or condone behavior that violates the laws of God. The best principle is to seek the inspiration of the Lord. As Nephi promised, the Holy Ghost will show you all things that you should do. There is no part of parental action that is more needful of heavenly guidance or more likely to receive it than the decisions of parents in raising their children and governing their families. That is the work of eternity. Close quote. Friends, this is not an easy balance, especially when we must find it in our families. It brings me comfort to know that I can receive individual guidance for my individual situation. But I testify that God's laws are evidence of his perfect love for us. Our world, our culture, and increasing numbers of church members do not accept this idea because they do not understand the fundamental nature of God. They do not see that God's work to bring to pass our eternal life requires not only love, but also law. The two are inseparable. So whether we are talking about parenting or interacting with those who believe differently, it is imperative that we understand the eternal principles of both love and law. To that end, your shine challenge for this week is to read President Dallin H. Oaks's general conference talk entitled Love and Law, And President Russell M. Nelson's BYU speech entitled The Love and Laws of God. I will link both of those in the episode description and the show notes so that you can go click on them. They are both fantastic explanations of how the Lord uses both love and law and needs to use both love and law. And as we better understand this concept of God's love and laws, we will be able to more firmly stand with him despite the loud voices that label him and his followers as unloving for seeking to uphold his laws. Friends, this is vital. I'm glad that you're here with me on this journey to learn to stand more firmly with Jesus Christ. And I cannot wait to see you back here again next week. Thanks for being here. Thank you for spending a few minutes with me today. If you are ready to dive in deeper and join the stand movement, find me on Instagram at Lynette Shepard. That's two N's, two P's and an A-R-D or at LynetteShepherd.com. If you like what you heard today, please consider sharing the show with a friend or leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. That works wonders in helping us to find the people that we can help. Thank you again, and remember, you were born to stand. See you next time.